0: Well, welcome everybody, soul food, the things you need to know about your Bible. This is part 25. Uh, Don't forget, by the way, next Sunday morning, 10 o'clock here in the sanctuary again, it'd be nice. Boy, it'll be nice. Uh, You know, it's not the percentage we want, but it's going to grow. Make sure you register, register online. We just love to have you. You can expand your appetite for God's word. We started this last Sunday night, and I want to finish it tonight. You can expand your appetite for God's word. And the text we've been studying, just one verse for now, Psalm 1911, where David says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Everybody knows that verse. So last week, we started to study David's practice. I have stored up your word in my heart. We studied what he did. He stored up the word. And then we studied where he stored up the word in his heart. And the main idea there was that by storing up God's word, David wasn't just talking about reading it. He he was actually talking about what he did with it after he read it or had it read to him. He, he's talking about a process of preserving what his mind had come to understand, the truth from the word, so that, so that it was like digestion. He was actually getting nutrients out of it. And that process didn't end just because the book was closed. Like with all food, what is eaten has to be converted into energy. It's what you live by. Eating is useless unless that happens. In your physical body, the thing is, with physical food in your body, that process happens automatically unless you're very sick. But that process never happens automatically when we're reading God's Word. David says you, you have to store it up in your heart. You have to think about it in slow motion. You have to digest it. So he speaks of storing the word not in the book, but in his heart. There, there's a sense in which you can be a great reader of the book without ever storing it up in your heart. That's what David's talking about in our text. So we looked, we looked next at the place. I have stored up your word in my heart. And I said last week, that this is what Jesus was describing in John 15, verses 7 and 8. And then James 1, 21. Listen to these two texts. First John 15, 7 and 8. Get a Bible and look these up. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit from from the word abiding in you. And so prove to be my disciples. And that idea is repeated by James, where he he talks about the implanted word. Not just read, implanted. It's the idea of storing it up in the heart. James 1.21. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The the old King James, thinking back, used to talk about the engrafted word, receive the engrafted word. It's a striking verb. It comes from the world of of gardening, and it refers to linking one kind of tree onto another in such a way that the life of the one flows into the other. That's what James means. He, He obviously means for us to think of the word of God working in our lives. But in a sense, the word not just being located between the leather covers of your Bible or on your smartphone or your tablet, but now in a living way, it's, it's, it's engrafted so that its life flows into my life. It's that same idea. It moves from paper to the cells in your mind and in your heart. This is a, Process. It's it's easier to read about than to actually describe. Storing up the word in the heart, it's, it's like being affected by the word through a constant remembering, a constant inward reminding. It's like a constant inward counterweight to my own fallen desires. Of course, all of this relates to the last part of our text. David didn't just read the word aimlessly. He, he said he treasured the word in his heart because he had made this discovery that I might not sin against you. So he found, as he loved, studied the word, put it in his heart, rethought it, reapplied it, remembered it. He, he, found, he found a change coming into his life. He found holiness growing in his heart. He found his desires were experiencing a kind of a metamorphosis. Things, things that were ugly were turning into things that were beautiful. He wanted the right things. He found, he found freedom. James talked about it. James 1.25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. And perseveres, so this isn't just reading, perseveres in, in that law of liberty. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The law of liberty, that's it exactly. Divine possibilities, James says, they will open up. So the word, treasured in David's heart was, was unclogging his heart. There was fresh power, fresh life. And so he treasured the word. He stored it up. He stored it in his heart. And the purpose was that I might not sin against you. All right, I have a couple more thoughts I want to look at tonight. One, studying the word will be a dry, empty process unless it's read with an eye to personal sin. And, and the reason I'm mentioning this is the way our text describes it is not the way a lot of, or at least some, contemporary evangelical churches are approaching the word anymore. Talk of sin has kind of fallen on hard times among many Christians. It's, it's seen as being culturally outdated, frequently legalistic, and so we've opted for a more reasonable, kind of uh, gentle, culturally adapted. There's a new kind of Christian, we're told. That's what's so instructive about David's words. He kind of insists the word of God immediately brought the whole concept of personal sin alive. When he put God's word in his heart, it wasn't just kind of a big soothing process it made him aware of the concept of sin, sinning against God. He he didn't relish the word without sin suddenly floating to the top of his attention. So the word of God stored up in the heart, it it just made David intolerant and ungenerous with his own sinful desires. It, I mean, this might be what At least some need to relearn from this text. We need to see how, when David speaks of loving and valuing God's word, storing it up in his heart, he isn't just thinking of the beauty of its language or the power of its imagery or the greatness of its principles. He's thinking about sin. He's thinking about personal holiness. He's thinking about staying clean. This is the effect the word had when he stored it up in his heart. So, so in other words, David wasn't just thinking about gaining information from the word. Information is important. We certainly need sound, doctrinal, accurate understanding when we read our Bibles. I wouldn't argue against that for a minute. But David said he only saw all of those things as a means to an end. Treasured, stored up word in the heart as he thought about it. It kept him from sin. Again, this is really obvious in in one of the classic New Testament pictures of this whole process. James is the one who paints this picture in James 1, 21 to 25. I read a part of this before. Listen listen to the the whole account. James 1, 21 to 25. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Rampant wickedness is the kind of wickedness that is culturally justified. So there's wickedness, and there's the kind that's promoted, advertised wickedness, the kind we're proud of, rampant wickedness. Put away that, receive with meekness the implanted word that's stored up in David's language, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Okay, I read that. Now listen to the picture. 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, hearer means you take it out, you read it, and then put it back on the shelf. Tomorrow i got another passage. I'll read that, put it back on the shelf. I'm going to get through the whole Bible. I'll read that, put it back on the shelf. Read that, put it back on the shelf. If that's what you're doing, but, but not, not storing it up, meditating, obeying, if anyone is a hearer of the word but not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Okay, here's the picture. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like, forgets what he saw. 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. It's a very carefully crafted visual. The process of change is described in 22 to 25, but the objective of looking into God's word is, it's stated right up front in 21. And so James, just like David, says, you pick up the word to do away with sin. That's the whole purpose. And then James talks about the mirror. He paints a picture that's so ludicrous that we can all immediately relate to what he's saying. What's the point of looking into a mirror and doing nothing about your appearance? I mean, think about it. What's a mirror for? You get up in the morning, you look at that face, whether it's shaving or makeup or hair or whatever you're doing, you you, you do something so you won't frighten small children during the day. That's what the mirror is for. There's really no other purpose. In fact, in fact, listen, think about it. You really don't look at a mirror at all. What you're looking at is yourself in the mirror. Nobody just looks at a mirror. A mirror isn't made to look at any more than a window is made to look at. You look through a window to see what's outside. You look into a mirror to look at what's facing you. If you want the word to do its designed work in your life, read it with an eye to holiness, personal sin. That's what it was designed for. That's what the mirror is for. That's what the word stored up in the heart is for. Look for good examples to follow, bad examples to shun, commands to obey, promises to treasure, warnings to heed. But always, always, always read looking at your own heart. Okay, point number two. The word treasured in the heart is designed to be the store out of which the rest of your life flows. I mean, I've already looked at this in principle. I just want to, as we wrap up, I want to look at it really specifically now. So, so David gathered up the word the way a squirrel gathers up nuts for winter. He hid the word, stored up the word deep within his heart. And as we're studying right now, he did this for a future purpose, that I might not sin against you. And I want to look briefly at the process of how our lives get changed into godliness. How does that happen? How our lives are changed by the word. And David wasn't the only one in the scriptures to address this issue. Jesus spoke about it really clearly. I want to read this and then look at the principle. Matthew 12, 35. Jesus said, The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. And I just find it interesting that Jesus actually picks up David's very word, store, storage. I've stored up your word in my heart. And Jesus says, the good person out of the store, the treasure stored up. Of course, there are good things in the heart, and they're bad. But that's not the main issue of the passage. The main issue of this passage is that life doesn't just happen, and more importantly... I can't set the direction of my heart at the last minute. If all Christians understood the import of those words, they might start to alter their devotional habits. So so those words tell the secret of how change takes place in our lives, how we're becoming freer, cleaner, holier, men and women of God. And the main point is that the way you live your life is determined differently than you might perceive. David and then Jesus are both teaching that the quality of your life isn't just determined by mental calculation. I think this is my problem, and here's what I'm going to do to fix it. And the quality of your life isn't determined just by moral resolution. This year, I'm really going to be different. I'm going to stop doing such and such, and I'm going to start doing this. And I wonder how well we grasp these points. I, I, I wonder how many Christian lives are marked by either frustration or disappointment just because they imagine the Christian life to simply be... Um, Choosing to be a better person than you used to be. It will never work that way. There are basically two approaches. Two approaches to personal transformation. Two approaches to holiness. One will work with God's help and the other won't. Let me start with the, the way that won't work. It looks promising, but here's an approach to holiness that will never ultimately work. So A, the method that will never work is the method of, I'm going to call it, mere imitation. Many Christians go at their Christian walk like this. They hear in some sermon that they should love their enemies. And so they say, I'm going to do that. They hear they should turn the other cheek, bear with others without malice or revenge. And they say to themselves, there, that's, that's what I'm going to do. And off they go. Only they can't stand their enemies. They'd rather die than turn the other cheek. And if they thought they could get away without being caught, they'd pound their enemy into the ground. Now, over time, if they continue with this approach of simply trying to produce holiness that they see in others or they hear about somewhere, one of two things is going to happen. Either they'll just go through life feeling condemned and guilty, knowing they're just pretending to be something they're not, or they're going to conclude at some point in time, you know what, this Christianity thing is bogus. It just doesn't work. One of those things is going to happen. Now, here's the second method for producing transformation that, with the Lord's help, will work. The second method, I know this is a bit of a long point, the second method for personal transformation in holiness is the principle David outlined as storing up God's word in your heart or Jesus described as laying up store within. So, so what I'm saying is there are some things that can never come about just by mechanical imitation. They can only come by inwardly assimilating, prayerfully remembering, and expressing. Living out what has been stored up over time on the inside from God's word. Matthew twelve thirty five, the good person out of his good treasure. Those are important words. Brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So both the good person and the evil person, their actions aren't determined at that moment. That's Jesus' point. Their actions are determined from what they stored up earlier. It is as we remember all of this that we see the sense of Paul's instruction to Timothy that he should, quote, exercise yourself unto godliness. Not just be godly. Exercise yourself unto godliness. What wonderful words. Now, you may or may not feel godly yet, or you may have a long way to go, but that's not the point. You can start exercising now. You can immediately start to build up In your heart, what you want to see fleshed out in your life later on. Remember, Jesus said everything that is to come in your path to Christ-likeness must be drawn out of what you have stored up in your heart. That's the same as what David was saying. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Jesus said his words were like living bread, not a moral list. You feed on bread. You read a list. There's almost nothing more important to remember than that. Do you look up the commands of Scripture when you come to some point of failure and fresh resolution and just try and tack them on to the outside of your life and keep them as best you can? Or have you taken the whole lifestyle of discipleship, the habits, the exercises, the nutrients, that make commandments keepable. My words abide in you. That's what Jesus is saying. Actions are determined by the storeroom of your heart. You cannot make your outward actions rise above what you have been storing up in your heart. Netflix is never going to make your actions rise spiritually. Storing up God's word. Okay, point number three. I say we're almost done. I mean it this time. We're really almost done. We need to remain alert to one danger that is common to all who walk with Jesus. Simply put, it's this. We can lose the edge of our sense of urgency to keep God's word stored up or treasured, Jesus says, in our hearts. I don't mean, I don't mean by this that we will get up one morning and just not love God as much, or that we intend to let him down, or that we intend to fall away. From all outward appearances, everything is fine and current. There's no crisis, no glaring need. And here's my point. That's the dangerous place because there is nothing external pressing us into Devotional hunger and persistence. We all go when there's an urgent need. It's when everything is fine that devotional hunger can dwindle. I mean, the sky doesn't fall if you don't go to church regularly. Christians are going to church less and less. A lot of them just go once a month, every couple weeks. Sky doesn't fall. You can still learn the worship courses. You can sing them at home. You can say grace before meals, even if you've been neglecting studying God's Word. The perception of our need for God's Word can become numbed. And this can happen with no change whatsoever in our view of God's Word. We still know it's God's Word. We still call it God's Word. We would never deny it's God's Word. We talk about its importance. We defend its authority. We listen when it's preached. Not talking about any of those things when I say it's easy to find our perception of our need for the word stored up in our hearts. I, I simply begin gradually to live my Christian life on past knowledge, past experiences, my own intelligence, my own willpower. And for a while, that approach can feel almost the same as abiding in the vine, but it isn't. Sooner or later, there arises a problem with this mechanical approach. We're going to constantly find ourselves to be repeat sinners in the face of certain temptations. And that's because my moral willpower can only address my outward actions at best. Only God's word stored up in the heart starts to transform tastes and desires. James gives the clearest picture of how this process unfolds. James tells us where the power of temptation comes from. Look this up. It's in James 1, 14 to 15. And James says, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. There's the money words. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin Sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The important point here is that the power of temptation doesn't come from some source out there. It looks like it and it feels like it. The power of temptation comes from in here. Temptation comes from inward desires, James says. Sin starts inside your own skin. Remember our text. Psalm 119.11, I've stored up your word in my heart. James says, where does sin come from? We just read it. James 1.14 and 15. James says, sin comes from the desires that are in your heart. Now, where's the best place to put the word? Put the word of God in the same place where your sins originate. And your sins don't originate in the pages of this book. Don't keep the word there. Your sin originates in here. You need to get this in there because that's where sin originates. It's such a profound insight. Let it live by the way you think about it. Place it where your desires are formed. Pray it to life every day in advance of the temptation to sin. Because when temptation comes intense, we don't see the wickedness of our own desires unless the word of God is stored there and we're pondering it there, treasuring it there, slowly thinking about it there. So heed this one verse reminder from David. You're going to need it. Because once you and I commit ourselves to following Jesus, listen to the Holy Spirit, and live in the Word, that's when we start to exercise ourselves unto godliness. Here's the thing with exercise. I've heard this to be true. Any exercise can occasionally find its own level of unexcitement. When those times come, remind yourself of a truth that every serious exerciser knows. After you've conditioned your life around a certain regiment, when you've reached a certain level of inward conditioning, you will find you do not feel as immediately affected by continuing to do the program as by stopping the program. That means the battle is one of persistence. Persistence. Hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Christians don't fail the Lord. They don't lose ground because they fail too often. They lose ground because they quit too soon. Hide the word, store it up in your heart. You will live out of that, and you can't live any higher than that. Get it in there. Think about it, mull it over, pray it to life. And you'll find it starting to be what James calls that law of liberty. Let's pray. Thank you for this truth from your word. We'll forget it by Tuesday next, unless we hide it in our hearts. Help us to help us to have it germinate freshly, day by day, week by week, in our hearts. We love you. Help us to store up your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Don't forget, we'll see you Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, and join us for our prayer time.